It seems right now we are more divided than ever. Or perhaps this last year has merely exposed the chasms that already existed. Most of the time, it seems easier to avoid the hot topics altogether in order to keep the peace. After all, aren't we supposed to be the people of peace? But what about those deeply held values and beliefs? Aren't those worth standing up for? Drawing lines in the sand over? Going to battle in defense of? We'll dive right into some of these hot topics. Political divide, racial justice, fake news, conspiracies. Oh, we're going there. This coming week marks 10 years since the Christian radio superstar Harold Camping predicted that the world would end on May 21, 2011. It appears that he was wrong. Or perhaps he was just 10 years early. We will find out this week. But it seems that we live in a world that's saturated with conspiracy theories and fake news. So we got to go there. We're in a series called Oh, we're going there, where we are taking a look at the elephants in the room, the difficult topics that maybe we don't always feel comfortable talking about. And then we're seeing what a follower of Jesus might think about those big, difficult topics in our world. So, so far in this series, we've talked about politics in general. And last week we talked about issues of race and justice. And this is a talk about conspiracy theories, fake news, and truth. Now, bits of this might be a little technical, and so I've worn this bow tie. If it gets technical and boring, you can just stare at the bow tie during the boring parts. Now, I tied this myself, or did I? We may never know the truth, and that's kind of the point of this talk. Other bits of it might seem like a graduate thesis, and so I want to provide a thesis statement like any good graduate thesis. And the thesis statement of this talk is this. When it comes to fake news, conspiracy theories, and truth, you and I are conspirators. Now, there's a perception in our world that conspiracy theories and fake news are a contemporary American problem. But the fact is this, these are very old problems. In the year 31 BC, during what historians call the last war of the Roman Republic, Cleopatra, who was the queen of Egypt, spread a rumor that she had died. And her lover, Mark Anthony, was so distraught by her death that he took his own life. And historians speculate that she did this on purpose, hoping that Mark Anthony would die, so that she could gain favor with Octavian, the future emperor of Rome. Quite a bit before that, in the year 600 BC, the prophet Jeremiah served the last four kings of Israel as a court prophet. And the job of the court prophet was to explain to the king what God was saying. And as Jeremiah was serving, he wasn't doing that alone. There was a college of court prophets. And as the Babylonian army gathered on Israel's eastern border, all the other court prophets told the king God would be with Israel and defend them from Babylon. But Jeremiah alone told the truth. He told the king that because Israel had ignored God for hundreds of years, God had sent Babylon to test them and maybe defeat them. And so the book of Jeremiah in the Bible is a meditation on the loneliness of speaking truth to power. It's about the complexities of competing truth claims and figuring out what will happen when truth is in tension with other claims and how that might have real world impacts. Now, closer to home, about 100 years ago, up in the city of San Francisco, 
a large group gathered that called themselves the Anti-Mask League. And they were protesting the mandatory mask laws during the great influenza of 1918. And they were protesting on grounds that the mask laws violated civil liberties and weren't scientifically effective. Now, we used to think that these were American and contemporary problems, but it turns out that they are ancient and human problems. And as we consider these ancient human problems, I wanna start with what we're not going to do in this talk. So here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to explain why someone might tell a big lie or why someone might produce some fake news. That's pretty clear, actually. That's pretty straightforward. Someone might tell a lie and almost always the reason that they might do that is a power grab. This week, I talked with someone who works in truth and the public sphere, and they shared with me that almost always, if someone is lying in any context, they're tinkering with the power dynamics. So my son, Frankie, is three. And this week, when he told me that he didn't know who broke the planter in our living room, he was tinkering with the power dynamics between me and him right there in our living room. Telling a big lie is always about power dynamics. So we don't need to explore why someone might create a lie. What I wanna do in this talk is explore why someone might believe the big lie. Pastor and cultural critic Mark Sayers says that humans need three things to thrive, freedom, meaning, and community. And he argues that these things are best viewed as a water tank or a reservoir. So for humans to thrive, the freedom, meaning, and community tanks have to be filled to the requisite level. But there's a problem. In the Western world, and especially in America, we have overfilled the freedom tank. Now, freedom's a very good thing. And in lots of the world, they need more in their freedom tank. It could be because of oppressive government tactics or stifling religiosity. Lots of people need more freedom. But in our world, we have an excess of freedom, an excess of choice, and sometimes that is paralyzing. Sometimes we're paralyzed about what to eat or what to watch. Or if you put me in a bookstore and said, Matt, buy only one book in this world of book choices, I may not make it out of their life. And it's because we are paralyzed by having too many choices. And this becomes worse with a major life decision. Where do we go to college? Who do we marry? Where do we work? Where do we live in the world? We have overfilled the freedom tank. We've maximized our personal freedom and we've done so at the expense of community and especially meaning. And I'm an example, probably you are too. In 2005, I moved to California from Missouri to chase my dreams and exercise my personal freedoms. That kind of mobility over geographical distance, that's a form of freedom. But when I did so, I left my family and my lifelong friends and I reduced my community and therefore a lot of my meaning. And it was hard to rebuild that community. Another good example that we all face has to do with life groups. Every time we don't attend our life group or opt out of one or say no to one, we are exercising our personal freedom and we're saying no to community and the deep meaning of serving other people. And almost every hot topic in our world fits into this framework of too much freedom and not enough meaning or community. So gun control or vaccinations or mandatory masks or gender norms all of these revolve around this one issue, who gets to tell who what to do. We have framed all of these in terms of personal freedom. 
And in this system where we have maximized our personal freedom at the expense of community and especially meaning, conspiracy theories take on a certain power. Now we all feel freedom to believe whatever we would like, but when someone believes a conspiracy theory or they buy into fake news, they recover a certain amount of meaning in their life. They find themselves as the good guy in a story of fighting a tremendous evil. Or perhaps they're taking a brave lone stand as they fight a battle of good against evil in, in their mind, in their heart, in their world. And when you tell yourself that story that I'm the good guy and I alone know the truth, oftentimes you'll find a group of like-minded people, sometimes online. And there'll be a group of brave truth tellers fighting the good fight. You will feel a deep sense of connection with them. And the organizational psychologist, Adam Grant, explains the psychology of these groups. He said this, when we meet a few other people who share our view, we start to take pride in having a special knowledge that other people on the outside don't have. And we're now in the know. And often maybe we've been an outsider before and maybe we weren't respected for our intelligence or expertise. And that makes us want to prove that we are right. Then that leads us into a trap of confirmation and desirability biases where we only see what we expect to and want to see. And that just reinforces our pride. And the more you affiliate with a group of people with that kind of shared belief, the more you end up with a polarized set of views because the way people gain status in a group like this is to be the most extreme version in that group. Like I am more all in on this than anyone else. I know more about why the earth is shaped like a Frisbee than anyone else. And that pushes the entire group a little bit more and more toward the extreme. Now, first, let me apologize to any flat earthers out there. Remember, by the end of this, we will all be conspirators. But so one explanation for why people believe conspiracy theories has to do with freedom and meaning and community. Now, at this point, it might be easy to imagine some lonely person on the other side of the political spectrum from you. And maybe as you imagine them, they're in a dark room typing away furiously on their keyboard. And maybe you are feeling some pity for them that they have lost meaning and community in their life. And on that keyboard, they have found some meaning and community. Maybe you're having this deep sense of you feel sorry for them. But the truth is, and the takeaway from reason number one is this, we have all believed the fake news that this system of maximizing personal freedom at the expense of community and meaning is sufficient enough for our thriving and our happiness. That's what the fake news is. And almost every one of us have bought into some version of that. We think that doing more of what we want is going to make us happy and that's simply not true. And in a world like that, it's real easy to believe a conspiracy theory. So reason number one has to do with freedom, meaning, and community. And reason number two has to do with a desire for feeling strong. Two political scientists from the University of Miami in Florida put together the biggest study of conspiracy theories in American history. And they started with this gigantic data set. They got a hold of all of the letter, letters to the editor starting in 1890 to present from the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune. It was over 100,000 letters to the editor. And they read them all and coded them for conspiratorial talk. And then they compared the results of that to two other data sets. They measured the Google metadata from the 2016 election cycle. And then they 
measured it against some national polling that they were doing at the same time, and they came up with a couple really fascinating conclusions. First, they concluded that 2020 is not actually the most conspiratorial time in American history. According to the longitudinal part of the study starting in 1890, there were two other decades that were far more conspiratorial. 1890 and 1950s, we're far more into fake news and conspiracy theories. And even though that's surprising, it's kind of comforting. Another big takeaway was this. The internet has not increased belief in conspiracy theories and fake news. What has happened is that the internet has sped up the spread of conspiracy theories and fake news, but that has actually reduced the life cycle of a conspiracy theory. As it spreads faster, it is exposed to more points of view and more data and more scrutiny, and it dies quicker. What they did observe was there's more general knowledge out in the world about conspiracy theories, but according to their polling, there wasn't an increase in belief in the conspiracy theories. So knowledge about them has gone up, but belief in them has not. But their biggest conclusion was this. The biggest predictor of who might believe in a conspiracy theory is who is in the White House. And so this longitudinal data showed that when a Republican is president, in the national media, the conspiracy theories that framed the right-wing forces and capitalist forces that were associated with that president in conspiratorial ways. But conversely, when a Democrat was president, the conspiracy theories out in the media featured left-wing forces and communists as the bad guys. And so it becomes real interesting. When the person opposite from your political view is in the White House, you have an increased chance of believing fake news or conspiracy theories. Quite profoundly, the polling data showed that Democrats believed that George Bush had something to do with 9-11 at about the same rate that Republicans believed that Barack Obama was not American. At the height of the belief in those conspiracy theories, they were roughly the same level. So this data shows us that we are more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory if we have a sense of losing control. And this reminded me of an advertisement featuring Steph Curry that I saw at a gas station by my house. And first of all, let me say, Steph Curry, if you're watching, on behalf of all nine Bay Area counties, we are so proud of you. Congratulations on your stellar season this year. But I have to say, if I may, real humbly, I disagree with your muscle milk ad. It said this, strong feels good. Now that might be true but it implies the converse, weak feels bad. And that might be true as well. But where I disagree with this is the idea that weak should feel bad. That's maybe not always the case as we'll see. But for humans, when we feel weak, when we feel a loss of control, it starts to drive us a little crazy. The research shows that the biggest predictor of believing in a conspiracy theory is a sense of loss. These researchers called this the loser effect. And they said in a tongue in cheek sort of way that conspiracy theories are for losers. What they meant was someone who's genuinely feeling a real loss, a deep sense of grief. And when you're feeling a real sense of pain in your life, well, it's real comforting to have a comforting lie. 
It's a real human thing to be in pain. And it's a real human thing to reach out for the nearest bit of comfort. Now, if you're tracking, it could be that a criticism of this talk is brewing in your heart or in your mind. You might be saying, well, sure, when I'm in pain, I believed some comforting lies, but I can imagine other people who believed bigger lies with more and worse real world impacts. That might be true. And maybe you're saying, shouldn't we be finding those people and exposing them to the facts and maybe, maybe publicly shaming them? Well, that happens a lot in our world, but it's real interesting. Adam Grant in his phenomenal book, Think Again, details what happens when you shower someone with facts that disagree with their deeply held beliefs. First, they feel like you are trying to snatch the comfort away from them. And then they double down on their comforting lie to protect that comfort. And Adam Grant called this the backfire effect. If you aggressively rain down facts on someone as a strategy for changing their mind, it turns out that they end up holding their original position even more fiercely. But according to Adam Grant, the research does show what will change someone's mind is empathy. The right combination of empathy and respect will change someone's mind. So if you're listening to this talk, maybe a false truth that you are believing, maybe a conspiracy theory you are believing is that I could rain down facts on someone and change their mind. The truth is this, maybe the painful truth is this, you will never change someone's mind if you can't connect with their pain. And it's a real human thing to be in pain. And when we're in a deep kind of real human pain, that comforting lie starts to look pretty good. And the truth is when properly motivated, any one of us could believe a big lie. And into this world where any human properly motivated could believe a big lie, stepped Jesus Christ who claimed to be the truth. And he knew this about us, that we were willing to be deceived in exchange for comfort. And in Matthew 24, he said this. Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming that they are the Messiah and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but it is not yet the end. What's happening in this passage there's a war or maybe a fake news about the war. And the big lie is that someone posing as the Messiah could rescue these anxious people who have heard about these wars. But maybe the biggest meditation in scripture about truth and power happens in John chapter 18, when Jesus is on trial awaiting to be crucified. And the story goes like this. Then Pilate, who was in charge of this trial, entered the headquarters again and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Pilate said, and Jesus answered, do you ask this on your own or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? How would I know these things? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. So what did you do? And Pilate asked him, so are you a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. 
For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? And Pilate's profound question hangs in the air and there's a tremendous irony because Pilate is saying, the truth is Pilate could crucify Jesus. The truth is Pilate can make the truth out to be whatever he wants. He's in full control here. But the irony is when Pilate asks, what is truth? Truth is standing right in front of him. Because for followers of Jesus, truth isn't an idea or an abstract thing that we are meditating on. Truth isn't a subjective story that you and I are telling ourselves. For a follower of Jesus, truth is a person. And what does it mean that truth is a person? Well, it doesn't just mean that Jesus was telling the truth, although that's accurate. And it doesn't mean that Jesus was representing the one true God, even though he was. For truth to be a person, for truth to be Jesus Christ, means that Jesus Christ is the truest thing in all of reality. And there are some astounding passages in the Bible that demonstrate this. Hebrews chapter one says this, Jesus is the one through whom he also created the worlds. And Colossians chapter one said this, all things have been created through him and for him and in him all things tie together. And John chapter one, verse three, without him, without Jesus Christ, not one thing came into being. Romans chapter 11, for from him and through him and to him are all things. There's something in philosophy called the correspondence theory of truth. And it's the idea that something is true if it corresponds to reality. And the Bible makes the claim that the reality to which all things correspond is this Jesus Christ. Theologians have put it this way, that Jesus was the foundation of all existence. He was the ground of our being. He was the principle of reality. And so believing a lie about ourselves means that we are working against the grain of the universe. But to believe the truth about ourselves, to tell the truth about ourselves, that means we're moving with the grain of the universe. But the truth about you and the truth about me is we're afraid to tell the truth. We're afraid to give up the control that the big lie affords us. When we're living in the lie, we feel like we're in control a little bit, but we can't control the truth. And we're afraid to be in pain. It turns out that the truth hurts and we get a little bit of comfort from our preferred lie. But there is a reality about humans. We're often very much afraid. And then on the other hand, the Bible makes this astounding claim again and again. There's a profound and great refrain in the Bible encouraging us to not be afraid. The Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid. One for each day, if you were counting. And this Jesus who is the cosmic Christ, that's what scholars call this bit of scripture that says the universe was made through Jesus, that Jesus holds it all together. They say this is demonstrating the cosmic Christ. And this Jesus has given us reason to not be afraid. And it is this, this cosmic Christ 
he knows you. And he knows me. And this cosmic Christ loves you. And he loves me. And when we put our lives into the hands of this cosmic Christ and we let him carry our life, well, weak doesn't feel so bad. And so Jesus, this cosmic Christ, makes this claim again and again that it turns out that telling the truth is the pathway to being alive. Telling the truth is the pathway to human flourishing. No one who ever lived a lie ever felt alive in the end. Living in the lie never results in feeling alive. So this Jesus promises again and again, telling the truth leads us to life. That the freedom and the joy that the life that we gain from telling the truth about ourselves in the end will be worth it. But here at the conclusion of this talk, there's a problem. Jeremiah knew it well. He said this, Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is devious above all else. It is sick. Who can understand it? This means that you and I cannot look into our own hearts. We cannot search our own hearts. Looking into our own hearts to see the contents, whether it's truth or lies, is something that you and I cannot do. So what do we do? Well, we ask this cosmic Christ to search our hearts. And the Bible gives us a powerful prayer to do that. The psalmist wrote this, Psalm 139. Search me, God, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me on the way everlasting. This is what you and I can ask Jesus to do. In fact, this week, I wanna ask you to do this every day. And here at the end, maybe you have hated this series so far. Ask the cosmic Christ to search your heart about each of these issues. But maybe you have loved this series so far. Ask the cosmic Christ to search your heart over every one of these issues. Because the way that we live a lifelong, thriving and flourishing friendship with Jesus is to ask him time and again to search our hearts. And it turns out that in the end, that's how we conspiracy proof ourselves. Amen.